Welcome back to Bond by Numbers. Yes, this is not Scott. This is, in fact, Josh. And I am introducing this very special episode where we will be taking on the first Amazon-related spin-off to the James Bond franchise since its purchase. So this is quite a milestone in James Bond media. Jeff cannot make it here today, but that's fine because only me and Scott have watched 007 Road to a Million, the first James Bond game show. And this will be our topic of conversation today. Yeah, it sure will. Let's just let's just put it out there now and not beat around the bush, Josh. Double uh, O Chapman failed assignment. Like he's still out in the field. He failed on his assignment and he's getting his knuckles wrapped right now for not having the job done. I think he sent some message or something that he is uh, occupied, which means that he's probably been captured by by the enemy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he'll have to use his wits to get him to get out of that. That's all I have. Good to luck. Say. Good uh, luck. Yeah, because he lost Chapman. His- he lost his communicator, so we can't see him on the radar. And you know, and secondly, we know that he left his cyanide pills behind, so <laughs> he won't be able to use that. So I'm mm. kind of worried a little bit about it, but at the same time, like I don't know. Yeah, Jeff's he's a nice guy. So, so he's resourceful. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a charming, nice guy. So I think he can talk his way out of capture. You know, perhaps he's got his harmonicas with him. You know, he could he could pull out a G chord harmonica, and he could. Oh. Uh, Yes. He could get a little something going, maybe maybe sidestep. Out, and it's that particular uh, the, uh, harmonica with extra ooh, features installed. Mm, additional features installed. Additional extras. Oh, I feel bad for whoever's captured him now. That Me is too. not going Me to too. go well. That's going to be like the Red Wedding or something, wherever he's being held. So let's uh, <laughs> yeah. have a prayer for the villains and that they die quickly. <laughs> we'll, we'll get an update on how that mission went when Jeff returns for our next episode. He's only out for the one. But as Josh says, oh, yeah, man. Double O Chapman didn't see the show, so we thought it pretty useless to have him here <laughs> on a reactions yes. program. Yeah. Yeah. He was on mission, so we understand that. So that's good. Um, so... What's funny about this show is that I wasn't really intending to watch it. I know you were watching it, but I was in Toronto visiting friends last weekend and it was raining after we did like what we could during the day because it was very, it was rainy in Toronto on the Saturday. We just went back to my friend's apartment, had a couple of beers and we threw on the first episode and we end up like watching three quarters of it, then went out to dinner, then came back and finished it around like (laughs) around midnight. So, so it was a true yeah. binge with dinner in between. It was, yes, absolutely. Well, myself and my wife, we did it a bit differently. Sarah and I, we did it sequentially. So although the show dropped all as a one, obviously, we just took it in pieces because we don't have as much free time with the kids and whatnot. We just did one episode a night and kind of followed it through that way. And I avoided all the chat online, all the reviews, all that stuff. I knew it was coming. I just wanted to kind of take it fresh and... Yeah. Obviously, everybody listening, thank you for tuning in, we should say at the outset. Thank you for tuning in. We know there's lots of other stuff out there that you could access. Lots of reviewers, good reviewers, and other podcasts have already dealt with this. This is just our treatment, our reaction of, of what we saw and how we felt about it. So uh, thanks. Thanks for being here anyway. Yeah, it's nice to have something 007-esque to react to mm. these days. It is, yeah. And we'll talk now, Josh, I guess, about just how 007 it, it felt to us. Um, you and I have not shared our opinions with each other either, so this should be fun. Yeah, it'll be good times. But we should say, I guess, buddy, first of all, that obviously because we're talking about the show, there's going to be tons of spoilers here. If you have not yet seen this program, please recognize this is a reactions, spoiler-heavy reactions show. So what you're listening to is an episode where we're going to react to what we saw. If you don't want to have the show spoiled, go watch it and, and come back later, please. Uh, there shows my contempt for reality TV when I don't even consider the fact that that we'd be spoiling this for people. So, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm uh, listen. I'm still wet behind the ears, my man. I understand. No, that's that's a good thing to say. That was very generous of you, and I understand why you did it. I'm not really giving away any, anything to how deeply I felt about about the program, but I will say that I did enjoy it. I can say that off. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll I'll say that right away. And I would not want to be spoiled on events in, in it either if I was watching it. So kudos to you. Yeah. So Josh, what's the format of this program all about? You've already said it is the first Amazon Bond production. 
Although I did think they had a hand in producing an Albert Hall concert, uh, Bond right. music of Bond a while back. But but yeah, this is really the first you know Bond content outside of the world of kind of celebration. This is the first new thing we've had with Amazon yes. at the helm. So why don't you say a few words about its its format generally, broadly? Well, they've clearly taken the concept of the amazing race and applied it to James Bond. That's my high concept interpretation of what the show is. It's the amazing race grafted to James Bond. Uh, it even tries to have the James Bond formula as best as it could in terms of having, you know, a Bond villain overseen. You have a, a global trek, a travelogue feel to things. And and then you have a series of set pieces that are that are somehow related to James Bond or are James Bond-esque um, in, in how things are done. Uh, it's eight episodes long. Every contestant is playing for a million dollars. Any of the teams can win a million dollars each if they were all successful. So That's right. that part I liked about it. It wasn't overly mm-hmm. too competitive. It was, and, and so that focused on the t- each individual team that we saw through the various, you know, episodes. That was, they're you know they're inserted between the editing uh, each episode so that you can mm-hmm. kind of follow them as they go along. Obviously, they focus on two, or three or four main people. Uh, sorry, main groups all the way through. And then the editing just has to, you know, go that direction because of how it, how the series ended or how yeah, the season ended, I should say, so that the ones that don't, that didn't do very well, well, they kind of get sort of like sidelined so that you, at least you find out what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but sometimes like a, a group that goes out early comes later in the series because if they were to be there at the beginning, then there'd be less of the others to show as the series progressed. So it's a really... It's it's not unique at all. It, like as you say, it's it's numeracy. It has to be this way, I think, if you're going to present the show as a staple amount of minutes without too much filler. You know, it has to kind of work this way. Yes. But how did you feel as a as a viewer of that broad editing? Uh, I think it took some of the suspense away a little bit mm-hmm. because I knew which groups were going to go the farthest and the ones. That's that right. Didn't. Yeah, I agree. I also felt at the beginning they should have like told us who all the contestants were at the very beginning and started and maybe had the first episode ha- have them all going on their journeys instead of introducing ones in the second episode or so i think that would have been a better way like i think it could have been edited in a way that for at least for like the, f- the first five episodes or so uh they could have been able to create a red herring situation where you're not sure where the where the, sh- where the show is going but i would say by episode three i knew where the show was going in my opinion, anyways, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, there is a predictable quality to it. And although, Josh, you're right in saying that, you know, it, it's nice and it's kind of unique that everyone in the program, everyone on the show can get a million pounds themselves. The lack of competition, it's a unique thing and it's interesting, but it also would probably turn off those viewers of reality television that would like to see more of the relationships and the cattiness and the integration of groups and stuff, which is a big part of the Amazing Race, right? That's true. Yeah, there's no sort of like going joining other teams in this. It's everyone on their own. But that, mm-hmm. I think it's built in because they want to be able to give because if because if, even if they go to the same location there's like a different question for each that's right uh yeah. for each player They're, they make it some way so that each episode is somewhat different from the other person's experience no matter what locale that they're traveling to so mm-hmm. they've done that to make the episodes feel more varied uh and not repetitive in, mm-hmm. in a sense and i think that that's a good idea but does it work in terms of raising the stakes for the audience or making them feel suspenseful about it and or does it in fact kind of just like, well, this is the way that it's going. So it's that's right. Yeah, it, yeah. it becomes too predictable at the same time. Uh-huh. So it's one of those things where like you're darned if you do, you're darned yeah. if you don't. In in, in yeah. that sense, uh, uh, you're right. But what we're there for is the James Bond. Uh, it's the James Bond factor, and we get that. We get the 007 and all the Easter eggs uh, that they've inserted throughout the show. And what's amazing to me, and I'd like to hear your take on this, Scott, is how no one of those groups of people were able to make any inferences like, oh, I'm in a James, this this is like, this is, I'm in a James Bond movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's a James Bond inspired reality show. And the people there, you think, oh, are they 007 fans? Like, are they Bond fans? Were they hired because they were Bond fans? And I, I, don't, I didn't get the feel of that at all. I mm. feel that someone came up with this quiz, this whole event separately, 
and then decided to graph James Bond on, in, in, in the editing and all the bells and whistles that we see in, on the finished product. Because, yeah. because I see those two nurses, I see the, the two nurses. They're, they're right, there's a, there is an Aston Martin DB5 right there, and mm-hmm. they're playing with it, and no one makes a comment about James Bond at all, or even super spies, or... You know, mm-hmm. like, so uh, did they hire people who were ignorant of James Bond or did they just edit out any James Bond-esque comment to make it feel like they're in the James Bond world? And then that makes, I guess, Brian Cox seem more villainous and more believable as a villain? Or <laughs> I don't, it, like, I'm just curious what you think about that. Do you think they deliberately uh, hired people that were ignorant to James Bond? Like when, when mm-hmm. they went through like the auditions for, for people, if there was any additions or are these paid actors, like I'm not 100% <laughs> sure as to what's going on here. Like it's, it's a bit yeah. of a puzzle. It, it is a puzzle, buddy. It, it totally is a puzzle. It was when I watched it, um, you, you know, your question is not a linear one. Your question is not a singular one. There I never have linear facets. questions. You should know that well, by you now. You do, you do. But, <laughs> but this is, this is a big thing, right? Like, I'm sure a lot of the, the controversy about the series stems exactly from that. These, these contestants are in a James yes. Bond game, but they are showing, acknowledging, and expressing almost zero awareness of being part of a James Bond game. And so that yes. that creates this aloofness, maybe that's not the right word, an awkwardness between the delivery and the reception of the program. I'm constantly... Yeah, I mean, as I watch the show, I'm kind of chuckling or I'm saying to Sarah, oh, look, it's... Oh, it's Marshall the, McLuhan uh, talk right there, man. That's I know, right? The medium is... Yeah, yeah, I know. But I'm, <laughs> I'm watching the show and I'm saying to Sarah, oh, look, that's the uh, that's the cable car in Moonraker. And now they're going to have to get out and do something. And I know what's coming. Or, oh, look, it's alligators. It's Kananga's. It's the sign on the Kananga farm that they found when they wanted to scout for live and let die or whatever. I, I see all these things, but they're the characters... The actors, the contestants, call them what you want, the real people, they are saying nothing about it. And so you are absolutely wondering that question as a Bond fan. Have they been told not to acknowledge the Bondian things or have they naturally said them, but they've all been edited out to keep the Bond not like so that it's not a show of Bond fans doing a Bond adventure, but instead people discovering tasks. And maybe the Bond stuff is just an Easter egg layering for the the viewers, because you could, as you say, you could take the 007 off of this, publish it as road to a million, uh, you know, sell the show that way. And the only people who would know it's a James Bond thing are the people who are watching the opening credits with a pretty cool theme redone by David Arnold and the Bond fans who notice all the other bits, the contestants seem oblivious to it, you know, and that that's kind of, disingenuous i felt like there has to be because even if they are as you say ignorant to james bond you're not ignorant to bond driving an aston martin you could drive that thing i'm fairly certain you you could take that thing through the arctic circle and there would probably be an inu family who could recognize that you know drive it through downtown ikaluit uh (laughs) that's right yeah i don't know buddy i don't know how to answer your question because it's the same question i had i i can't believe that two blokes like James and Joe Bone, I cannot believe that they're not Bond fans. Like they are Bond fans. That's the demographic <laughs> that you want in the cinema, right? Like those guys. Exactly. And yes. Beth and Jen, like, come on, they, they're Bond fans, you know? Maybe Santa, yeah. uh, Santa and Saika, maybe they've, the sisters, maybe they're less educated in the Bond world, or but nobody is ignorant to James Bond, you know? Like, James and Sam, the father and son, I don't think anybody is. So it's a big question. It's one that I'll share with our listeners. And maybe instead of trying to answer it, we can talk about how much it bothered us. Like, did it take you out? Because it, it kind of made a me scratch bit. my head a bit. But I was still enjoying the, the camera work. I was still enjoying the individual quest. There was some great camera work. My friend was commenting when we were watching it. He was saying, because he was one who was not interested in watching it at all beforehand. And he was commenting, and he doesn't even like and he hates reality reality television more than I do. And he said that the camera work is really good uh, and the cinematography is, is is very well done in this and whatnot. And James and Joe, uh, they they are very easy to latch on to. Uh, They're easy to like. They're very nice guys. I liked all of the groups, to be honest, at least what we saw of them. 
they were mm-hmm. they were all very presentable and they were all very uh, affable and and friendly and they seemed to have nice stories. We, yes, we learned more about some than others, but all of the contestants yeah. seemed interesting and you know I I, I appreciated their they're down to earthness and I felt like these are real people that I could meet and, and work with. So I don't think that they were actors, yeah. no, but they might've yeah, received, they, 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 they may have received a stipend and then had to, then had to sign a non-disclosure, a non-disclosure about it. That's what I'm thinking about. And that's why they don't have their names either. Like they would in other reality shows like survivor where they actually have their last names presented. Right. Uh-huh. So, so I think that's, that's a very good point, Scott on that is that, um, and compared to other reality TV show, contestants that I've seen from the very limited pool that I am bringing things out of because I have not watched a lot of reality television, but I did find the contestants believable and they seemed like they had, their stories mm-hmm, were, mm-hmm. they seemed based on their backgrounds and whatnot, their experiences that they talked about, uh, they, they did seem legit in that sense. But it, of course, you can also feel the editing and the writing of the series coming into play when they focus on certain tasks or certain narrative themes on different uh, teams like for example uh uh my namesake uh josh a uh, chimera and the chimera and josh mm-hmm. team uh josh had some you know a terrible violent incident in, in his life and early mm-hmm. on in his life and stuff and he's very been very scared it's been you know he's been dealing with a lot of trauma from that psychological trauma because of that and so they were always trying for him to like face his fear, you know, c- confront his fear, beat his fear, so to speak. And that was a theme in in that sense, right? That's right. And then they're always talking about, and James and Sam, the the, the first uh, father and son team, they slightly seem like, estranged. you know, yeah. slightly, slightly estranged. There's a kind of a tension in them. Uh, there's, they, they seem like they get along well together, but mm-hmm. there's definitely... Mm-hmm. Uh, one has different ways of thinking than the other. And there was like a tension there that they explored. And I thought that was, that, that, that was kind of interesting um, at times. Although I, th- I think there might've been guilt for the father for being so estranged that he let his son oh, yeah. do some of these questions or, or gave him some mm-hmm. leeway in answering these questions and in these challenges. I think he was very patient in, in that matter. Ironically though, he was the one that got hit the last question wrong. Uh, That's that right. He was him out, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, so. why don't why don't you introduce the groups then a bit? Like we're talking about them. Who else was in the show? We've got we've got the final three, the ones that are as you suggest, as you say, they're the ones that are edited the most. James and Joe yeah. Bone Brothers. We've got Beth and Jen, Kamara and Josh. They're the final three. Yes. But then there was the James and Sam, the father and son and duo, Sam. who came to four. The other place, father and son duo. Uh, yeah. And then we had the other, the, uh, the other mix-ups, uh, the other four groups, right? Or the five groups. Yeah, yeah. Heath and Nick, two cops who got eliminated in Venice, if I recall. Um, Sana and Saika, who were eliminated in the first round. Um, Colin and Danny. Then we got Grace, Daniela. Yeah, the the other father and son team. Yeah. And Tanaka and James. Blink and you miss them. Yeah. <laughs> X-ray. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So those were the groups, but yeah... Uh, it would have been good, I think, Josh, if each group had a bit of time in the sun in an episode one sort of introduction like they do on The Amazing Race. I'm with you there. I wouldn't have minded maybe an extra episode or another half hour tagged on somehow where we get to meet everybody because you then can associate with people and their stories. And some, some of us sitting at home would like to travel with a Grace and exactly. Daniela crew. But obviously the editing decided not to do that because it didn't want to lure the viewer in that way. It's almost like the film was going to lure you in through its production quality and its occasional moments of personable story, you know? Yes, that's what it was trying to do. Like, can you imagine an alternative situation where episode one was all these, we, we meet the contestants and they talk about, you know, how much they are a James Bond, they're the James Bond fans, how they love the movies and how they love spy stories and action stories. What have you, just showing them like, not just as uh, people chosen from random for their backgrounds and for their skills, but also yeah. because they're James Bond fans. Imagine that kind of enthusiasm and hype being in the first episode and you're feeling them. And now like you have like someone from Eon, maybe they have like, Barbara Broccoli or someone say, or uh-huh. I don't know, Daniel Craig showing up or something and them just saying, you know, welcome to the James Bond double seven road to a million. So it allows us as an audience, you know, to feel it for them, you know, to feel that same hype and enthusiasm as opposed to just kind of starting out like right in the, like right in the middle of things at the very beginning with like a cheesy Brian Cox entry 
and whatnot. It's like they're trying to sell it as a reality TV show, but there seems like there are also maybe with the, the idea of editing out any references to James Bond by the team, by the contestants or any the kind questions. of self-recollection about, and the, and the questions as well to ensure that it feels like it's set in the James Bond world. They wanted to kind of keep that mystique. It was kind of a blurred line in what they were trying to espouse to us. You know what I mean? I do know exactly what you mean. And it is interesting. I mean, we, ha- we haven't spoken about this yet. Maybe we don't need to, but it does add a bit more weight to that idea of this never, never being conceived as a James Bond show because you've got these questions um, that have nothing to do with Bond. They made an active decision to go general knowledge here with the questions or not general knowledge, but location specific questions and context type questions, right? For art, for travel, geography, and stuff like that. And it got me thinking, like, although that was a a conscious decision on their part, if one of the James Bonds was actually to compete in this, Roger Moore's Bond would win. And the reason I'm so confident is because, you remember that scene? You remember that scene in Moonraker where he's talking about, like, the nerve toxin that comes from the flower in the lower reaches of the Habitibi River. Know-it-all James Bond. (laughs) Know-it-all Bond. Roger Moore... Connery's a know-it-all Bond too, though. That's very true. He's, but yes, but a, a very, very finite. Like he knows, he knows it all when it comes yeah. to food and drink. I don't think he knows it all yeah. when it comes to like flowers and potions and all that stuff that Roger Moore does. But Brosnan I don't know. too is also was also a bit of a uh, know-it-all, but he did it more subtly. Yeah. How so? How do you see him as a know-it-all Bond? Well, he just always had answers for things all the time. Like he, he was always had knowledge and whatnot. He never seemed like he was like, oh, okay. You know, there wasn't any moments where I found that he was l- lacking knowledge about <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. Because he was also doing exposition at the same time with his dialogue as well mm. to drive the story along outside of getting orders from like M or something like that, right? So, uh, yeah. But Roger is definitely the know-it-all Bond, not just in Moonraker, but the whole kind of m- measuring contest, even though... Anya's female, but the whole kind of like repartee between identifying the Strongberg laboratory and whatnot, you know, that mm-hmm, you saw in The Spy mm-hmm. Who Loved Me. So, but yeah, Roger Moore is the know-it-all Bond. Let's just leave it at that. All right. Uh, one of the things that is, is really compelling about the show uh, and it's in its favor is the locations, right? And of course, that's part yes. of the Bondian recipe. I mean, they even go to Jamaica. They go to Goldeneye, for goodness sakes. Uh, but don't mention no it. One, they don't, they don't call it out. It's Fleming's staying, home. I love how those guys are. Yeah, I love how those guys are staying at Goldeneye. Right? They're staying at Goldeneye, and they never mentioned the fact this was Ian Fleming's. I know. Uh, like that wouldn't that place. wouldn't have that, that wouldn't have shown the hand though. That wouldn't have shown the show's hand too much. Just to say, it's it's the same thing as saying like, oh, Saint Mark's Square or whatever, whatever. This is this was the home of Ian Fleming. You know, like that that wouldn't yes that wouldn't have ruined it. Or maybe they didn't even want to do that. Like maybe maybe there's something in that decision that we could analyze to better understand the show's motive. What do you think? The fact that they don't call out Goldeneye, what might that say more representatively about the show? It's it's so mind-boggling to me. Again, it's that the idea of like, did they create did they did Amazon have this reality show in the can? And then what happened is that they got the rights to James Bond, and then afterwards they decided to splice the things together and then hire Brian Cox. I don't think so. I don't think so. Buddy, I don't think because so. No. How could, how it, could it they do that? that way, but it does, it, but it can't yeah. be. Yeah. How could it be that way? Because all the things they do are bond related in some capacity. The locations yes. are bond related. There must have been a bond sketch for this, but then they decided not to make the contestants bond crazy or not to make the narrative bond crazy, you know? Yeah. And then and they that's put why up the Easter eggs for, yeah, for the Bond film. fans to pick it's, out, essentially. It's a film of Easter yeah. eggs for us, like a coating of Easter eggs for us to enjoy while these other people just kind of stumble through. But it is infuriating that when the girls get into the DB5, there's no conversation about this being cool, like a Bond, this is where Bond was in Goldfinger, or there's there's nothing there. And what makes, to tell you what, I, I wish, not just because I liked them, but I wish Kamara and Josh, I wish James and Joe had hit those damn targets in the final, just so we could have seen what were the other two Bond cars that were there for them. You know? I know. What would their cars I, have been? I know. What would their next step have been? Like, did they get the, the Lotus Esprit, you know, from For Your Eyes Only? Like, what were they going to get to drive? Maybe they can save that for the next season and get the Lotus Esprit in there. Maybe <laughs> right. even make it a submersible that they can drive. That would be pretty cool. 
Yeah. I are you know. are you listening, producers? That's right. Yeah. Uh, call us. Call us. Find us on the socials. Yeah. Yeah. We need to throw Sardinia in there as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. This all started with me saying, "What do you think of the locations?" The locations were fantastic. I loved how Moonraker centric the first quarter mm-hmm. of this, uh, the first half of it was. I was it surprised was by it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. My friend Phil, uh, who watched the show with me, uh, he he he's been to Rio, and uh, so he's been on that cable car and whatnot, right? And I was telling him that yeah, this is a big sequence in Moonraker. Uh, it's one of the, one of the reasons why Moonraker is still a beloved Bond film for me, even though oh, like yeah. it's not great. But I I just love so many set pieces in Moonraker, yeah, and the cable car too, sequence man. at Sugarloaf is just fantastic. It so. really is. It 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 it's aged well, and it's great fun, and it's good good comic acting. It's just really fun, isn't it? Like the Moonraker vibes in Brazil were among my favorite parts of the locations. And I'm sure many listeners would agree with us there. I thought fun stuff in Jamaica too. Jamaica was really pretty, but I, I was stymied a Venice bit by, was, was, by the, the lack of Fleming call out. Like that, that was kind of, it was cool, but yeah. I felt it let us down a bit as fans, you know, but maybe you don't have I to did, call it out, you know. Like it's there for the reference. Then of course, in the end, we're in Switzerland, yeah. and I literally thought they're going to go to the the restaurant on top where Peace Gloria was. Mm-hmm. Me but too. I thought that. I thought that they went to the Iger Scott. They did if, yeah. If anyone is listening to Bond by Numbers, we know Scott in his first set of, of our three non Bonds. Scott gave us the Iger sanction to watch, and they went to the Iger. I was wondering, is that the Matterhorn? But then I noticed the whole train yeah. system and that exit door that they have on the side of the mountain, to, so you yeah. can begin your climb. It's the right. it's the Iger. So that's pretty cool. That was very cool. It was very cool. Uh, I just want to circle back for a second and ask you this, buddy. Like, okay, as as a Bond IP, right? Yes. This show isn't just going to attract Bond fans with the 007 logo, but maybe you're going to get other people just tuning in. What is the harm in mentioning or having it somewhere that this is where Ian Fleming wrote his books? Like, wouldn't that just attract, if they like the show, they might go and, and pick up and consume the other media, the other Bond stuff. Why did they decide not to call this out? Like, I'm scratching my head still because it's kind of like... You don't want to show off your wares too much, but you've already got them in there. So why not just mention it? Maybe maybe they did and they wanted to have those things in there, but they edited the episodes a certain way for a certain time, perhaps. And that's all they all that's all that, that they could do. And maybe there's mm-hmm. actually like deleted scenes where they might have talked about it where like what they can do is like, for example, they show the boys a golden eye instead of having like a bunch of crazy cuts and flash, you know, flash editing, you can have like a sign saying like uh, information on the, on the board, or even Brian Cox saying, for example, this is where Ian Fleming wrote his James Bond novels. Like part of the audience obviously is a James Bond fandom. And you could have totally had Cox interact with that demographic by, by, you know, saying this is where this was, this is where this was. But instead, I guess they went an easy route and just did the Easter eggs. So I don't know. It's, okay. it's interesting. It's an interesting decision all the same. What yeah. did you think of the of the questions overall? I thought the questions were okay overall. Um, some of them were easier, but you would expect that, obviously, as the show, you know, as the, as the rounds go on. The questions I thought were okay. Once I understood what he was going to do, what the show was going to present with the questions and the cases, I accepted the challenge and the one, two, three format, you know, the A, B, and C choices up until later in the stage. Your answer is... <laughs> yeah. Go to the fridge. Come back. <laughs> Go for a pee. Come back. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for you gotta, sure. You got to love Brian Cox, though. I mean, this guy just came off, like, succession, right? So... Uh, he, so he's huge at this moment, even though he's very, it's very late in his career, but you could tell he was having a ball with this show. Mm -hmm. What did you make of the Venice stuff, Josh? Like I found the Venice, Italy, okay. Italy more generally Venice. I found the Venice stuff a little bit dry, a little bit boring. Matera was nice. I enjoyed that stuff. And in the restaurant with the spider and all that. And then of course you had your Genoa, which was a bit of a throw in terms of Bond because Bond doesn't go to Genoa, um, at least not no. not in the films. So it was nice to be there. Not uh, not Genoa, sorry. Naples. Naples. Um, Naples, bon- yes. Bond's not in Naples. That so looked familiar. <laughs> it looked familiar, yeah, yeah. You'd recognize it. But what did you make of the Italian the Italian locales? 
They were okay. I, I did like going into that old Venetian apartment, uh, 16th mm-hmm. century, probably most likely. Yeah, yeah. And then they have like, just like all of the Renaissance era furniture they, that was, uh, that you know, that the, the set decoration, if that was someone, if that was a set or if that was just to decorate, like, obviously they rented these apartments out so that they could get into them and so they can That's right. present them the way tart, that they wanted them to. Up but a little I, bit, I, yeah tart them up a bit yeah like i recognized you know I, I and the whole thing with like the snake like the bone brothers uh, yeah even though like the the venice locale i liked how they filmed it when they're walking through the streets of venice and stuff like that was really nice and made me want to go there um and i did love the snake in the in the chest part i loved how the boys were taking the snake out and trying to measure it uh, that was <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. they're pretty fearless i have to say yeah um, yeah yeah so i i like that part of it um now, the one where they showed, uh, was it in, I'm trying to remember now, because they have, what we should talk about regarding locales too, is what movies were referenced in here. So obviously, you know, we have Rio de Janeiro for Moonraker, the Amazon jungle for Moonraker. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, there was some specter in here too, right? Because oh, yeah, yeah. they Matera. had that train. Oh, no, not Matera. Yeah, Matera. Um, no, the that's, train that's, ride. Yeah, the train you ride. Know? That's right. Yeah. In North Africa, but of course that was the South America somewhere where they've actually filmed That's it. Right. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, right? It was it like was, Peru yeah. or something, I believe. Um, Chile, I think. Mm-hmm. Chile, yeah, it was in Chile. And then you have, you know, going to Blofeld's uh, headquarters, which was like that town, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we also we had no time to die, and Doctor No stuff going on with Jamaica. We had yes. Um, was there? The alligator uh, farm, even though it was like in, farm, yeah. it was in, and, in, in 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 Chile somewhere, it was still an alligator farm, right? So I got that yeah, living like die reference in there. There were a lot. New Orleans would it would New Orleans would have been a cool place to go to, but maybe they can save that for next season. Uh, well, we got Scotland, obviously Skyfall stuff happening up there in the in the Highlands. Yeah, absolutely. That part was kind of like I could see as some people starting the show in the first episode and not being excited about it. That part was kind of boring. I mean, I liked, I, I like, I love Scotland and I love seeing the scenery there because it's beautiful. But I can see some people not being too excited about that particular segment. Yeah, uh, a slow, a slow I think, start. Yeah, episode two is I think with the snake and stuff. That's when I kind of caught onto it. I think I think that was the beginning of that. Uh, Switzerland, but obviously, that, lots going on in Switzerland. Oh, yeah. So we get all our OHMSS references as well. Let's talk about this laser gun thing. What what, what was that thing? Is that like laser tag? Like, I don't understand what that was. Yeah, it was like laser radar sensors and stuff, right? Laser sensors. It seemed seemed clunky. I I, I don't know. Like, it just seemed like there was no excitement about using that whatsoever. If it was a real... I'm sorry. I wanted real guns. I I feel bad about saying this, but why couldn't they... But I I guess, you know, for safety reasons, obviously. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I felt that using that that laser guided signal thing it created a difficulty for the task that they never really considered and made that task yeah. impossible with it with, or with explained the they also never explained it for us at home so we're here struggling through the milky waters of it now and it like, may are they terrible shots like why can't yeah, they? yeah i don't like, understand exactly or is it just really that tough and how does the cold weather how does I don't know, like light, how do all these refractions and stuff, how does that affect the, the laser guided, the the targeting? I, I have no idea about any of that. It wasn't explained. Like there wasn't a cue moment where he explained the technology yeah. that these contestants were going to be facing. And it made for a rather boring watch because so much, so much of the, the final episode was just poof, poof, yeah. poof, miss, poof, miss, poof, miss, poof. And it was just, ugh. They're just not going to make it. I like it. how they and go to the island of San Monique. I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, that was cool. Living Let Die reference. And they had like the whole that. casino scene, which was very James Bondian, right? With, uh, I thought they were all going to appear at the same place at the same time. I thought I thought they were going to end the series with like the last task being a Casino Royale, you know, Texas Hold'em poker showdown or something like that with all the players. I thought that <laughs> would have been awesome. But Or Baccarat even. And then have like teach the audience how Baccarat works. I think that would have been kind of cool. But, well, it uh, would have been, but that's just the thing. The show never would have done that because there was no, there was no tautological or kind of demonstrative form about the show at all. They weren't teaching anything. No. It was like, here's what it is. Figure it out, viewer. If you can't figure it out, well, you can just play along with the contestants because they're made yeah. to not know what's going on either. But one thing that did 
that did kind of take me out of it, Josh. And I'm I'm curious to see what you think of this because th- this kind of leans into the feature film aspects of it, where it's not quite a reality show. There was and must have been on the sidelines of every shot so many people there to jump in and travel with and help out in the event of yes. the boa constrictor or the python. I think it was a boa constrictor. If he just turned his attention, I'm sure he ate a goat before they stuffed him in there. But, you know, if if he was going to turn him. his attention and, and try to, <laughs> or trucked up, if he was going to try to do something, you know, or if, if the harnesses weren't working or whatever, because uh, Josh's wife, um, what's her name? Kamara. Yeah, to, man, she she was tough as nails. Kamara was tough as nails. She had to get up there she on was. that crane at the beginning. That was a heck of a task to do. And the wind, when the yeah. wind was howling up at her, the, I got the full Gravina respect bridge. for her. Yeah, it yeah, was the incredible. Green bridge, that was scary. Amazing view, amazing view. And I love that opening scene, No Time to Die. Like that that bridge is awesome. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I agree. And I was like, man, you're don't be my friend. My friend was like, man. Don't be a pussy. Like, seriously, like, you're letting your wife go up there. So automatically, when my, my friend did not like that team on the basis of, of, of Josh, mm-hmm. even though we got kind of like this, the back of the story background as we went th- through, it was just, they were just kind of the bit of a, I mean, they were good, but they were a bit depressing as well. And I, yeah. I was still more on the, from an entertainment point of view, I was, I, my, my favorite word. Joey, we were Joe and James, the Bone Brothers. I mean, how can you not love the Bone Brothers? But yeah, personally, yeah. my favorite was uh, Beth and Jen. Like I call them Team Nightingale because they were just awesome <laughs> all the way through. They were yeah. cool. They were they were really cool. I did like Kamara yeah. and Josh. I understand why your buddy might have had a problem with Josh because he wasn't very chivalrous and all of that. But I liked the fact that it was a little bit counter to expectation and i liked kamara's agency she had her own fears and they had they had oh, good absolutely. banter throughout it but she, i also liked the fact that she knew her husband was scared and she said i'm gonna do this and i loved that there was yes. that female agency in that partnership i didn't need bond to be chivalrous in that moment i didn't want josh to be james bond in that moment i was really happy no. to see kamara do it and succeed in doing it yeah because i could handle the I tarantula even though she was scared of it right like how yeah handle exactly the, 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 yeah. the tarantula yeah I thought that uh, she was really tough and a lot of fun to watch because although Josh did yeah. face his fears and he you know he was equal to the task when it when he needed it the way that that couple was edited I don't know how much we really saw of them as a couple but they seem very supportive of one another and very much in love with one another and I I liked that I mean I did like to see, I like to see that they felt genuine to me you know Yeah what do you think about no one winning in the end? Yeah, I know. Like, that didn't bother me so much because the journey was worth it. Like, going to the places and seeing the tasks. Like, yes. I, I, I didn't need to have a climax. Like, it didn't need to come to an end, like, that way. Um, sorry, I'm I'm stepping around all sorts of bon mots here. Yeah. But I didn't need, you know what I mean? Like, I, it, I didn't need it to finish with a win. I was happy just to have seen what I saw. And the fact that the but players banked... they did but the, win. They did yeah. win. They, they banked exactly. what they made along the way. And I did think that was a neat thing. You did, it wasn't all or nothing. It was a road exactly. to a million and you pick up money as you go. And I liked that. I felt that was authentic and also fair for the challenges being asked, you know. Absolutely. I, I did like that, yeah. So overall, I, I thought 007 Road to a Million was entertaining. I definitely had some head-scratching moments, and there are some limitations to it. As a Bond fan, I think you're going to be frustrated because you're not getting, you're not getting this, like all of your, your hey moments are private moments. You can't share them with anybody else. It's like that, it's like that meme of DiCaprio in The Great Gatsby, right? Where he's like, where he's like pointing, right? Uh, With the green light and stuff. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like it's, you're absolutely right. It is frustrating as a Bond fan uh, because it feels like it's it's a little bit ashamed of its source material in a way, mm. and yeah, or doesn't want to it doesn't want to speak it, it doesn't, too proudly it doesn't want to, because it's trying to play to a general audience as well. I mean, Amazon's obviously going for that. They don't want to cater yeah. too much to the Bond fandom and make casual viewers, you know, less interested in it. Like, oh, okay, this is just for James Bond geeks kind of a thing. Like, they did it in a way where Bond fans can enjoy it to the best of their ability 
and then casual casual viewers can enjoy it as well. It's just a re- another reality show. If, if you ca- if you catch my drift, yeah, the critics did slam it though pretty hard over here. Um, to say, I think the Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's like a forty five percent or something fresh, but the Guardian newspaper, you know, uh, <clears throat> over here, it's obviously a very big a bit- publication. They were kind of slamming it, and I'm wondering if she was, if the writer Lucy Mangan, who does good work, I'll have the, I'll have to say that for, like in credit to her. I just wonder if she was kind of chasing a headline here, like Brian Cox is so Feels bad like it. it could it could ruin Succession for you. Another thing she says, seriously, it, it looks, yeah, I know, right? Like it looks far more like the producers have tied a cravat around a ham and offered it a lot of money to sit in a broom cupboard for a couple of days to record a load of voiceovers. Uh, about 60 questions. All journalists nowadays to me are pushing for headlines. I feel like there's a lot of less legitimate criticism these days. It's all for getting clicks. And that's exactly what it wanted to do because there is a big um, anti-current James Bond fandom out there now as there is for for every IP there is nowadays who miss the old days and whatnot and you know they want to get rage clicks and everything and their arguments sometimes and most of the time their arguments are valid like i understand some people why they don't like the craig era as james bond fans i understand why a lot of people don't like no time to die i understand if you have any kind of uh, ip where they're trying to you know have more diverse casting have more diverse uh, you know have more female agency that sort of thing i understand that to some people who criticize that because they don't like how it turns out because there's too much message as opposed to uh what's the what i'm trying to say is is that yeah what i'm trying to say yeah what i'm basically trying to say is that people who are critical of the of those reasons are not are not are not necessarily sexist and they're not necessarily racist or whatever it might be they're just their sense of fun has been sapped from the story because the story is focusing on those themes more than it's focusing on say uh on the story itself, I, I, I suppose is, is what I'm trying to say. So I understand that attitude, but I also understand there's people on the extreme end of that fandom who are ridiculous. Uh, so to me, it just seems like everyone is trying to push a headline, as you said, these days. Uh, but I mean, the this, this show isn't amazing. I mean, it's entertaining for a few hours and then you watch it and you enjoy it. If you're a James Bond fan, then there's parts that you'll enjoy. If you're just like reality TV, like The Amazing Race, uh, you may enjoy it. You may not. It's really up to you. Uh, but, you know, if you feel that this is the worst thing to ever grace television, then as a TV or film critic, if that's what you want to do, that's what you, you know, go ahead. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that if, if you if you actually feel that way. I guess but it comes back to I don't the know. purpose. The purpose, doesn't it? Like, we don't know. Like, this character now is, what, 70, oh, 70 plus years old. 20, 27 movies, right? If you include the crummy ones. And yeah, <laughs> like just so much to play around in. The producers of this program um, have chosen not to adapt it as a James Bond thing fully. And that is part of the reason why I think there are moments of awkwardness for the Bond fans because they see something Bondian. They want the characters to make the same realization and acknowledgement. And when they don't, it feels like you're kind of in a vacuum chamber with your, your cheers or your hurrahs or your... Yeah. Your laughs and chuckles because the things you notice are planted there for you. So somebody silent, somebody in the writer's room, somebody in the production team wants you to see it. But the characters, the contestants don't see it, which creates this juxtaposition between where you are and where the people you're following are. And maybe yeah. the and that, that that is it's jarring. It is jarring to have that moment of um I don't know, there must be, like, Baudrillard must have come up with a term for this, you know, where you're you're having the same experience. It's not simulacrum, but uh, you're seeing the same thing, but you're seeing it from two different fucking places. But maybe you're not because yeah. the contestants have just been edited out their reactions. And that's all very weird. It is weird. That's That aside, though, I mean, that's a very legitimate criticism. And maybe in the newspapers, you know, they weren't happy with that. And that's kind of what they were trying to show. And maybe they wanted to be a bit uh, severe in their reviews yeah. because they want to improve. And maybe that's I'm going back to a very naive idea of giving a bad review in order to create improvement from that. But yeah, that's, that's not a naive idea at all. I don't think that's a naive at all at all. Uh I, I suppose I have some thoughts on you know what how journalism has changed, particularly in terms of film and TV criticism in the past couple of years. But that said, 
I enjoyed all the contestants. I did found that they were chosen well for the series and it was them, it was their stories and and how they reacted to those challenges that I really enjoyed. And one thing my friend was saying uh, about how like the, the Bone Brothers or the nurses, for example, or Josh and Kamara is how they, we had different spectrums of education through each of the teams, right? So I found how they were able to take those things that would naturally mismatch and maybe cause confusion, and they're able to put those things together and show how by working together, you can solve problems. And that's one mm-hmm. thing I really liked about it. Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps that yeah. was part of what they wanted to try to promote in the program, you know? So That's very possible. Well, if we just were to use your experience of it with your two pals watching this, one, a James Bond fan, one, a not Bond fan, and one, just a casual in-between fan, I mean, that that's a pretty darn good test of uh, all single white males, though, we should say that, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, I would say my two, my, my, my friends, I would put them as casual Bond fans. Okay, so but, what what was the verdict yeah. then between the three of you? You were probably a bit warmer towards it because of its content. We all enjoyed it because we spent the whole afternoon, and they uh, they really dug the the Bone Brothers. They found them very entertaining. So I think, and they wanted them to win. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, because there is this a part of us that wondering how fabricated these stories are, if they are, yeah. or if this yeah. are these are real contestants. It felt like maybe they were forcing some of the drama behind the like the contestants a little bit too strongly whereas we just want to kind of enjoy the game you know what i mean um but the background does help but when the editing kind of also with like talking head interviews inserted tried to kind of reinforce you know their situations um i I think it would have been better in the beginning if they just had we had their whole stories from at the beginning yeah we said that didn't we and interpret their actions through what we know about them, as opposed to kind of being that ham-fisted towards us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that maybe is part of the reason why the show does lose a little bit of suspense and tension towards the end, because you are getting these talking head moments that interrupt the action. Yes, absolutely. Well, maybe the producers will listen to us and uh, the many others who say, start with an episode of data dumping, where we get to meet these people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what they plan if they plan to do another season or not. It's, nah, it's hard to say, I. but yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard to. I say. I don't know if Brian Cox but, will. All the chat over here is that he thought he was signing up to become a Bond villain. That's what that's what he's been saying anyway. I think he's saying that jokingly, but I've heard. Yeah, of course he is. Of course sources he is. on 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 that. I know he was. I thought he was fun. I kind of found towards the end, like, was he a villain or was he someone who was trying to give people a chance to win money like that's I wasn't true quite sure what, it, it kind of changed what he was along the way yeah. yeah yeah some reactions he had to people going out was like well that's a shame and although he said it i didn't catch i didn't think that he was always saying it uh, in a joking way you know <laughs> yeah my favorite i think one of the favorite, favorite challenges was when the bone brothers had pulled up the suitcase from the wreck in the in the harbor there and yeah. then they were they had the they had the they had the uh, whiskey or, or or the rum right that's right and yeah, then there the was a the whole yeah. question about, and then they're and then they're about to to you know give the right answer to it to you know to the question and then he calls them and basically says are you sure you want to go with that answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that was cool that was cool so yeah. just just before we close, then uh, I think we, this is a reactions episode, right? It's it's what it is. Yeah, uh, we're it not gonna. It is. it is what it is. But did you have any favorite moments apart from that one? Any other tasks you really liked? I had a couple, but let's hear yours first. There's that one. Um, uh, I'm trying to think now. What was one of my favorite ones? I love the whole Sugarloaf Mountain, the cable car thing. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. That was great. And That's the fact one that of they mine. Had the, yeah. And the, yeah, the fact they had to go on top of it, like, you know, Jaws and Bond uh, to yeah. get the suitcase on the top. That was really good. That was one of my favorites. Um, and I also liked how the wheels, the gears of the cable car were planted in the shack that they found first in the in the forest, you know? Yeah, a little, little, a little hints. Little hints, had, yeah, yeah, where yeah, they that, were going. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite s- sequences. I liked it when Josh climbed that volcano. That was pretty wild. Uh huh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Like it was climbing cool. Olympus Mons or something, you know, like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a testament to the photography um, as well. Um, I thought there was so, some great least. photography in there. Yeah, and I like the whole casino setup. I thought that was really cool. I still wish it ended in a poker game, but that's just me. 
I like to jump in on the train stuff, you know, the running and getting onto the train. And yeah. that, was all, that was pretty cool. Father and son had to do that yeah. and then get up on top of the train cars. I mean, I, okay, it was a little bit, you know, you could tell there was a lot of safety involved in that. but And the train probably wasn't yeah. speeding too fast. But it was still really cool to see. And I like regular people in these situations. And perhaps that's the takeaway for me. Regular people doing really cool things. Like you, the best of The Amazing Race, you know? It, that's at its best. That's yeah. what the Amazing Race gives us. But this show did that with a Bond flavor and took away all of the relationships, the banter, the integration, and made it more of a, a single team pursuit, a quest for every group to mm-hmm. try to do their best. And there's some interesting stuff here. There's some good ingredients here to take away, but also some things production-wise, editing-wise, that I guess the team can think about if they ever do want to return to this idea. Yeah, for sure. But it's just nice that here we are in 2023, a couple of years distance from No Time to Die, and we're talking about new Bond content. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, let's just celebrate the fact that Amazon has done a thing. And here's to more things, you know? Whether they're great or bad, they're going to keep people talking and keep people in fandom. Yeah, cheers to that. Absolutely. All right, well, unless there's anything else you want to say, I think we've covered the the basis here with this reaction. No, I don't really have anything more. Okay, well, Bond by Numbers will return very soon with Double O Chapman, whose punishment or exile or capture will hopefully be ended and his mission completed. And our tradition of having a holiday special is not yet shot down, but um, scheduling is making that a bit trickier. So watch this space. If we can, we will. If we can, we will. We're all busy this time of year and whatnot, so I'm sure... Everyone likes to have a holiday listen every year, no matter what, or a holiday movie or a holiday song. So there will be, at some point, a holiday podcast for this final season of Bum by Numbers uh, that you'll be able to pull regardless. It just might be a little late, that's all. All right, well, with that said, thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we hope to see you back here very soon indeed. We've got a couple of good episodes lined up. We've got another John Gardner review as well coming up in the next month or so, so be on the lookout for that. Win, lose, Win, or die. Win, lose, or die, yeah. And the continuation of our three non-bonds before 2024 properly takes off and we start looking down the gun barrel of our final episodes. So. Yes. Okay, take care. Bye. <laughs>